This is the NDA Podcast. Creators going head-to-head, fighting each other on trivial issues to do with the creator economy. And now your host, Dave Wiskus. I love it. That's going to be the new intro from now on. Well, I should introduce you. This is Sam Rice from Dropout. Uh, oh, thank who, you. I asked the audience who they would like to see me have on the show, and the two biggest responses were the jet lag people and you. There are, in history, two streaming services uh, that were independently built by creators that have maintained their existence successfully. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, you and I are the the people behind those two things. More people have walked on the moon than have done what we've done. <laughs> and uh, I don't necessarily mean that. As I think we can all agree that's less impressive. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying what an accomplishment. Uh, I mean, kind of, but um, relative to the moon, but more than just like this, this, uh, this is a tricky thing to pull off. And we're early enough yeah. in an industry where not enough interesting stuff maybe has been tried. Uh, so who knows what combination of luck or opportunity or whatever skill, um, market savviness, we both have, but it's, it's, uh, I don't often get to talk to people who have done this because the only people who has done this is you. Yeah. Whatever it is that we have, I think we can both agree that we are better men than Neil Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do like a backstory interview thing because those are always terrible, but I do want for context as we go through, because you're, you're a very different kind of creator. Sure. You're, you're not like YouTuber style creator the way that many of the folks that, that we talk to here are, you had a different path. Sure. I, I want you to talk just for a second about like the differences, the, 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 the difference in your path. So anyone who's in the audience yes. who doesn't, who isn't familiar with you can get a sense of context and the folks who yeah. are, um, we can bring the context the other direction. For sure. I guess the, okay, let me, let me try to make a, a long story, not so self-indulgent. So over the course of my career, I've, I've sort of straddled the line uh, always between this this sort of notion of being a creator. I think I was a creator before the term creator was really around. Um, I considered myself a filmmaker before I was anything and being a, an executive. So uh, when College Humor first plucked me out of my comedy group, I was 21 years old. Um, my comedy group uh, at the time was making videos for the internet prior to flash video. So what we were doing is essentially uh, creating sketches and then uploading them as QuickTime files to a website where our fans were downloading them and watching them. Wow. Um, That's a little time capsule for you. It's funny, when I first started in the College Humor office, uh, Jake Lodwick and Zach Klein were were huddled in another room in the same office developing Vimeo. Um, A lot of people don't know that Vimeo sort of spun out of College Humor. All that YouTube did that Vimeo did not do or did not do uh, quickly enough was implement Flash Video. Mm-hmm. Um, and once they did, it was like, you know, game over. But I was hired by College Humor as a one-man band video creator. I was responsible for video at College Humor, whatever that meant. I was hired to figure that out for them. Um, and I did it with the help of the editorial staff, who at that point were... Uh, writers uh, doing text articles for the website. Slowly but surely, we added staff member by staff member by staff member. So whereas my job was at first uh, sort of co-writing, directing, producing, editing every video that went up on the website in the early days, eventually we were able to 
you know, bring on support for me. And that eventually turned into a, you know, 25 plus person department who then went to LA to produce television as well as create web video, um, which we did for a little while with shows like Adam Ruins Everything and, and Hot Date. I mean, at this point, we were sort of half the company. We were like 40 to 50 people. And video became more and more so the, the kind of center of the company, thanks to branded content being, you know, the sort of shift away from ad sales buys and towards branded content as a business mm -hmm. model. So, yeah, I'm blowing through a lot of history, but, but generally speaking, I was hired in 2006. We had a very short-lived MTV show called The College Humor Show in 2009. We moved to L.A. to start doing more TV in 2013. And then the the sort of last beat of this chapter, well, two final beats of this chapter, is uh, we started Dropout uh, in late 2018. That's when it premiered. And uh, I took over the company in early 2020. Interesting. So <laughs> I'm just, I, I didn't realize that the timelines aligned that much. Because Nebula was what? Years May, mine, yeah. May of 2018? Something like that. So yeah, um, and then we didn't we didn't get any like traction traction until I think September of twenty I think it's twenty eighteen. COVID kind of fucked up my sense of what a year was. Oh, absolutely, yeah, same. Completely distorted. Okay. What is time? Um, yeah, so uh, roughly the same age. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Did you? I mean, so you had a period uh, there, Dave, of like treading water, not knowing if this was going to work or not. And gr crazy enough, it was. Um, Vimeo who inspired it. Oh, funny. Yeah, yeah. Vimeo hit us up because they they uh, they picked one of our creators and they're like, this guy should have his own streaming thing, his own over-the-top streaming service. And it's like, that guy makes a video every six months. How, how does that work? Yeah, totally. Uh, and they're like, well, who do you have that makes videos more frequently? And I'm like, there's nobody who makes videos daily where that would make any sense. The only way this would really work is if you had all of the, oh, what if we did that? <laughs> and then um, Vimeo wanted to own the billing relationship with the customers. And that was a hard yes. one for us. Because if we're going to do this, for sure. we're going to go big and we want to like future-proof against anything else that could happen. And we had no uh, business relationship with Vimeo. So it, was, it wasn't a hard thing for us to say like, yeah, this isn't a good fit. And we went elsewhere. Yeah, but like yeah. you, we, we were born out of something else. We, uh, Standard, the parent company, I started almost accidentally helping my friends book ads on their podcasts. And then- yeah. Uh, mostly so I get access to sponsors for my own podcast and then word of mouth, you bring in more people. And then one day I realized like, well, I've, I've accidentally built a, a full-time talent management thing here. I should probably do that yeah. more than five hours a week. And for then sure. ran, ran that, uh, like our, our primary business was representing creators and it yeah. was the, the idea was born out of just, would it be interesting to do something as a group? Sure. Initially, sure. standard, and the reason that it's even called standard is it was the name was chosen to be the most forgettable name. Sure, I wanted sure, sure. <laughs> to fade into the background. Yeah, yeah, uh, like a like a James Bond mission cover story. Sure, like, sure, sure. You should hear the word and instantly forget it. Yeah. Um, so the 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 hope was that there was no sense of umbrella because in the podcast world there was all these podcast networks and shows would leave or join. It was always a dramatic thing, and yeah. we wanted it to be like. Well, a sense of independence, like who represents you behind the scenes doesn't really matter. That doesn't need to be a thing that is celebrated or announced or when you sure. leave, that's an announcement. So uh, doing that in the background 
we, we realized with Nebula, there's an opportunity to do something that was like, we're all together working on something. This can go in the foreground and just playing with it more than uh, any aspirations of mega success. We just play around with the idea. We didn't know that this yeah. would happen. Yeah. I mean, I think what those companies clearly have in common is the sense of you in a sort of a service role, like a service to creators. I mean, it feels like standard was meant to be in the background and Nebula is meant to be in the foreground, but even... Uh, in the foreground, the purpose of Nebula is to sort of create a safe space for creators to thrive. Yeah, I think of it as a, a foundation and umbrella. And yeah. those things can have different value for for different types of creators. Uh, but initially, this was all built on like, let's build something that the creators can build on where yeah. um, this isn't, they don't need to put our logo on stuff. They don't need to announce this. Yes. Uh, but we can we can give them tools that, that help them go and build their business. And with totally. Nebula, it was just like trying to leverage the power of our scale at that point. And that turned out to be so much more effective than, than I would have thought. But the, the big difference then, and timelines are similar, I think so, a lot of the ethos yeah. is similar, but the difference between us is that we are um, both on the standard side and the Nebula side, representative organizationally of a collection of creators where you're more of like a uh, almost more like traditional media where you build properties and you bring people in to work on those things. The difference, Dave, is that I took over the company and then I, I put myself as the star of my own show. That's what I then... should do. <laughs> this it's, is the piece I'm missing. Yeah. And, uh, and basically just, just used it as my, you know, uh, selfish creative playground. <laughs> uh, is it, is everything kind of just a star vehicle for you then? It's all one. Yeah, that's scam. exactly right. That's what all those is. subscribers given money every month just to watch you. I think you're right. I mean, I think there are ways in which what we're doing at dropout is peculiarly traditional in the sense of, and we didn't necessarily, uh, you know, set out to be this way, but we are a network that, I mean, our, our business model is, is dirt simple at this point. You know, we are a network that partners with talent to produce shows, although a large chunk of our development now happens internally. Um, and then we share those shows with the world and some of them really take off and others don't. And, uh, we are, you know, aggressively using, call it organic channels to promote our shows. What do you mean by organic channels? We do very little, if any, paid marketing. If you had, had talked to me a month ago, I would say we do no paid marketing. We've just started to dip our toe in the water and see what paid marketing means to us. Mm -hmm. So the way that we promote dropout and dropout shows is uh, quote unquote organic, which means social. Right. right. It's TikTok, it's Instagram, it's YouTube, uh, it's even Twitter is uh, how we promote dropout and it shows. Can I tell you, uh, we had a marketing call yesterday and our CMO, Lior, was talking about dropout as like the gold standard of what they want to try with their team. And because <laughs> like, we do the influencer thing and that's extremely effective for us. But beyond yeah. that, we're in a very experimental phase. We've only recently taken over the management of our own marketing budget and the the responsibility for that. So it's like, okay, yeah. we know the influencer stuff works and we're really good at that. What else can yeah. we try? What else can we do? Uh, and yeah, uh, Lior and their team, they're looking specifically at what Dropout is doing. And uh, yeah, they came on the call and they're like, That's yeah, well, cool. we see Dropout doing this. We see Dropout doing this. I'm like, 
I could talk to Sam about this. Maybe we could, like make a connection <laughs> I was here. Say, Who's just invite me onto the call? I'm happy to spill spill secrets. Do you handle the marketing stuff yourself? Is there somebody on staff that does that? Do you have a CMO? Do you have a team? Yeah, so we're we're a very small team, as you know. There's only uh, 15 of us full time at Dropout. That's crazy. Um, and uh, one of our uh, business partners, partners in the business is this brilliant guy named Andrew Bridgman. And, and Andrew wears a lot of hats for us. He sort of simultaneously does everything social, everything community, and everything marketing. There's even another couple of jobs he does that I'm not mentioning. Andrew is the the beating heart of the marketing effort. And what Andrew and I have done together is to sort of craft a strategy. And uh, Andrew is largely responsible for for implementing that. Although up until this past year, I was running Game Changers social accounts myself. I still personally, every tweet you've ever seen from the Nebula Twitter account has been me. For anyone listening, <laughs> I mean, there's right something now, to be said for that. Me. Yeah, uh, yeah. You like, I we're still in a stage where like we don't have a, a team of copywriters who are coming up with like the tone. So it's just like sure. I'm I'm using my gut to say the things I would say. And like yes. building the voice as I go, and then hopefully others can pick that up and run with it later. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There's this cheesy uh, sort of political style cartoon that I reference sometimes, which shows like the difference between leading from the front and leading from the back. You know, essentially being out in front of your troops or being sort of behind your troops, offering direction. And I've always been a little bit more effective, for better or for worse. And I do say for better or for worse because it's. I don't think it's super effective all the time as sort of a front style leader where I'm like, I'm going to do it and figure out how it's done and then pass it off. What I find in that style though, is you have to at points stop yourself and move to the back and let, let other people feel trusted. Otherwise it's always going to be me forever. And if I don't take my hand off the wheel and let somebody else grab it, then the entire, uh, I guess, bus in this analogy will always need me to hold the wheel. Absolutely. I mean, delegation is really uh, tricky. I think it's tricky. You know, I think what I'd like to think is true is that we have such a high standard for performance in general that it's like we are effective delegators when someone deserves it. And like right now, if we mm-hmm. look at Dropout's team, it is a team of of A players. I mean, it's like we have extraordinary, extraordinary people working for us full time. Part of that is... You know, when we collapsed uh, coming out of the IAC days, we were 100 plus employees and we had to whittle it down to seven. And then what we did at that point is we basically said, okay, as we're hiring people back, we're going to hire the best folks who have ever come through the company. And then when it came time to hire new people, we tried to you know, subject them to the same rigorous process. All right. So what does that, what does that look like? Uh, what is the makeup of the team? So the, 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 yeah. the, the, the sort of marketing and social media, I would love to have my people talk to your people. Anything you're talking about, like getting into paid marketing <laughs> and like how to do some of that stuff. We, yeah. I will give you everything we know in exchange for everything, you know, I'll happily make <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy man, to do a knowledge sure. share. Uh, but what, tell me, tell me about like, what is the makeup of the team? Yeah. I mean, I think in some ways we're a little under-resourced, as you could imagine, as 15 people. And, and in other ways, we're, we're growing in exactly the right way. So so at a, at a high level, right, there's myself and Andrew Bridgman and David Kearns. 
And Andrew is, uh, his title is chief digital officer. Again, he's responsible for combination of like marketing, community, social. He also does some light syndication related stuff for us, sort of while he does that on top of everything else. Syndication meaning? We're using legacy college humor content on Facebook and Snapchat and some other platforms to try to earn a little bit of extra money. Exactly what I would have expected. David, uh, who is COO, is essentially both functions as a, a kind of, uh, up until pretty recently, like the last two years, was sort of head of operations and head of production. We've since hired a head of production, uh, Kyle Robach, who's unbelievable. Um, he's also He also essentially functions as a chief of staff. He's like a more natural leader than either myself or Andrew. He's more naturally social. Um, he likes to cast himself as kind of like uh, the company camp counselor. And he's great <laughs> at that. Um, which frees me up a lot to be the sort of like artist weirdo kind of strategist that I am. It's much more of like um, a creative team dynamic versus yeah. like a corporate dynamic. It's like where we are, uh, I, I think another big difference that might not be obvious to audience is you you guys, uh, it's all VHX, right? Uh, it is, yes. Vimeo OTT, they call themselves these days. Yeah, yeah the Vimeo OTT stuff. Um, so like you don't have to hire a team of engineers to to run your streaming back end or, or build all true. the things. Uh, most, I believe this is right. It's either our production people, either the studios team or the engineering slash product team. I, I believe engineering and product is the, our biggest team. So when you, when you count uh, our CTO and chief product officer, our project management team, all of the yeah. front end engineers, back end engineers, iOS, Android, Roku, uh, smart TV, all of these engineers, the web streaming platform engineers, all of these people, because we we built everything ourselves. I know, Dave. It, I, I'm nauseous thinking about it. <laughs> it is. It's a lot. Uh, I mean, we were using off the shelf stuff for a long time and we just found that uh, because we are a multi-tenant service, it is not like we have a collection of shows. We have a collection of creators. And this yes. is a really important distinction for the kinds of things you and I do versus the kinds of things that you would expect from a Netflix or something. But sure. there's a difference between a content streaming service and a creator streaming service. And we sure. lean really hard into the latter. People sign up for Nebula not because they're excited about a show or a piece of content, but because they're excited about the creator or creators behind it. There's yes. some exceptions. Like I think Jetlag walks that, that line a little bit. But because of how we handle things, it's not like people submit videos to us and we release them at whatever time. In our world, yeah. people can, all of our creators can upload the video and it's live whenever they say. So we have to build all parts totally. of this thing where different people have access and uh, capabilities within the channels that they own, but not somebody else's channel. So we keep things yes. cordoned off. So it's, it's, uh, it's not one big mansion with people in it. It's uh, yeah. an apartment building. Well, this, this dovetails into a really interesting question I'd be curious for, for your answer to, which is sort of like, I would doubt that you're hungry to sell Nebula and that that would happen at any point in the near future. The same is true for us. Like, I'm in it for the long term as mm -hmm. far as Dropout is concerned. But when you look at, like, what your company is on paper, like, what its value is, right? Like, how do you look at yourself? You know, <laughs> here's, a, here's a stab at that question in order to or a stab at that answer in order to frame it up for you, but I think you'll have a much better answer than I will, is like, 
Nebula is a technology company. I mean, you have like 30-something engineers on staff, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And you are like the company and and the company's sort of idealism and the way that it structured itself operationally is a part of the offer. Mm-hmm. It's like a part of what makes Nebula Nebula. It would be really hard for us to sell out structurally. Sure. sure. Because Nebula is not a technology company. Standard is a technology company. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Standard, the, the parent company, uh, all of the employees are technically standard employees. I'm okay. the only person who technically works for both. Um, it's all sort of like handled, uh, contracted and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's the standard team handles all of the engineering. So like Nebula outsources it sure. to standards engineering team. And it was just simpler to do it that way. And so Nebula as a, as a construct is a collection of um, intellectual property, not in video. We don't own any of the video content the creators do. We own licenses to that content. So we have a bunch of content sure. licenses and we own the IP of uh, the name Nebula and the Actually, no standard owns the logo and Nebula licenses the logo from standard. It's all, yeah. Is the standard team doing a lot that's not Nebula? No, no, okay. by design. And this this only all happened because we had to draw lines when uh, we had a minority investor come in like a year okay, and a half ago. Um, not because they wanted control of certain things, but like that was the moment that we had to put some things on paper and so Nebula as a thing, Nebula is the product and the idea, but like the team itself is still largely uh, standard. And there's, it's all going to be muddy. And I'm sure that some lawyer somewhere on our team is going to be really fussy with how I phrase this. So I'm good. I'm waving my hands a lot because I kind of have to, <laughs> but Nebula is a streaming service, but a lot of the services provided to like the talent management side and the engineering yeah. stuff and a lot of uh, like marketing and all these are services provided by standard to Nebula. So practically sure. speaking, we're one company. Literally, sure. it, gets, it gets complicated. So when we think about like the heart of your question here, I think of like, what does an exit look like? Uh, is the intent to like, what is the, the end game here? Well, I uh, think the question about having the question is just like, where's the value? The value to whom? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. This is. You're right that there's no real eagerness to, to sell. We've been, uh, that's certainly been speculated. We've certainly been accused of it. Um, but I, I have no interest in an exit. I like sure, my job. Sure, sure. I sure. like doing what we do. And I think that somebody else coming in and trying to run things, and this isn't a me versus them. It's more of like a, are you one of us? Like if creators don't, if creators don't own this, I don't know what the point is. Totally fair. I think, you know, by contrast, I mean, the, the reason, part of the reason you're so smart to own your technology and hire 30 engineers and build this yourself is that it's, it's largely understood in our industry that where there is technology, there's the value. And that if you're mm. relying on third parties to fulfill your technology, there's far less value there because you don't own the customer. Particularly, it's exactly what you said at the beginning of this conversation. We are a content company. We are right. not a technology company at all. We own everything we create 100%. Um, we, uh, so you're the opposite of us. <laughs> <laughs> there are ways in which we are, yeah, we're, we're uh, similar to each other and other ways in which we're foils for sure. So where's the value for you? It's in the content, right? 
yeah, it's it's the content. I mean, it's, it's someone from the outside would need to come in and say, we think this video library has value. And it certainly, you know, uh, value, there's inherent value in like us owning the customer in the limited way that we do. Yeah, subscriber revenue is a real thing. That That is totally. uh, how you would be valued is based on, uh, it would presumably be based more on the subscriber revenue uh, than on the value of the content. That's probably true. If someone were to come um, in and do like a, a an equity play, private equity, or if you were to go public or whatever, my presumption, I could be wrong on this, but my, my assumption would be the way uh, traditional investment or or private investment would would work would heavily favor the quantifiable. Here's how much money you're making from subscribers. Here's what we think the growth trajectory could be. Here's yes. your costs. Here's your your revenue. Uh, versus like this content sure is neat. I bet it's worth a zillion dollars. And what makes that a little bit complicated, given the way that we structure the company, is that if you take me and you take Brennan Lee Mulligan out of the equation. Right. The company is worth less because our shows are such an important part of keeping our business running yeah. today. We're in a similar position where if we, if someone were to come along and try to buy us, let's say that that happens. Let's say somebody comes yeah. along and acquires us. Uh, no, no plans, not, not trying to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, but if it were to happen, the only way it could work, the only way we have value is if the creators stay. And the creators sure. only stay if they're getting value. So to your question, like, where's the value? The value is in the ecosystem. The value is in the structure for the creators to be able yeah. to build a business, to be able to build revenue, to be able to build a relationship with their audience. It's not in the tech, although yeah. that does have value for standard and it has value for Nebula in the sense that it's good for those things to, uh, when I think of like my spirit animals, my spirit animals in business are um, Tim Cook and Kevin Feige. Sure. I am much more interested in how do we uh, how do we build out our entire supply chain and own it ourselves to reduce cost yes. and to to make us more nimble and to do more cool and interesting creative things. Yeah. Um, how do we enable and empower the creative people who put all their effort into making the good stuff? And yeah. um, on the on the Kevin Feige side, how can I uh, help a team of disparate creatives work together to build something that is bigger than any of them? Tied to you, Dave, is always inspiring because you, you have like real, you're a real future thinker and you have ambition in this category. And and I am so still so traumatized from my days in corporate America. <laughs> and this these like often what would happen is that we would like dream really big and then we would fail spectacularly. And I think that happened like at least three times over the course mm -hmm. of our journey with IAC, where it's like finally we failed kind of out of the company and had to start from scratch. And so I'm afraid, I'm afraid to dream too big. I think that the fear is good. I was talking to um, uh, Philip from Volksgeist recently about the similarities he and I share. He's a younger creator. He makes video essays about music stuff, but he's like a born hustler. He, yeah. uh, he and I have similar backgrounds where we were um, the, the more or less white kids growing up in predominantly black and Hispanic uh, neighborhoods sure. and going to, to black and Hispanic schools, being at like economic disadvantage um, in stranger or more, yeah, what, what's a non-problematic word I can use? Like we didn't, we didn't, neither of us come from like a, a, a particularly privileged upbringing. They're sure. like getting, uh, going to Ivy League schools was never 
in our future. That was never going to well, be Well, there's there's another thing we don't have in common. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so so there's like an element of if the thing that we're doing right now, if this is not successful, we die. Either we stay at the bottom forever or we fight our way to the top. And when you have to either fight or die, uh, your approach, your ability to look at the board and uh, see moves that nobody else would see when your sure. livelihood is on the line, you're like really your 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 um your ability to survive, your like literally your ability to have dinner that night could depend yeah. when you're growing up, could depend on how clever you are that day. You yeah. learn to be scrappy and hustle in a different way, I think. It forces you to think differently about every decision. And what yeah. I see a lot is um amongst the creators that we work with, even really smart people, uh if I'm invited to a room. Like the, if, if there's a room where it happens uh -huh. and I'm invited to that room, there's 0% chance I don't go. If sure. I hear that there's a room where it happens, I'm going to fight my way into the hallway so that if that door cracks open a little bit, I can shout into it and hopefully say something smart enough to get invited in. That's uh -huh. how I see the uh -huh. world. And uh, not everybody does. And so there are people who will make what are in my mind crazy decisions or pass up sure incredible opportunities because they just had something else going on that day because they sure. did they, for them this isn't a matter of survival they've never had to see it that way it's really interesting yeah i mean i i relate to components of that you know i i did come from a very privileged background i grew up right outside of harvard both my parents were harvard professors um at one point uh, very academic sort of world. Um, but what was ingrained in me at a very early age was this notion of if you go into entertainment, if you go into the arts, period, you are taking a vow of poverty. <laughs> and and yeah, when I yeah. when I did make that decision and I, I dropped out of high school at the age of uh, 16. Really? And I never. Yeah, that we do have in common. To, oh, there you go. Yeah, both dropped out um, at 16. No way. Yeah. I didn't know that, Dave. That's yeah. so funny. Whoa. Holy yeah. shit. That sense of like, I really need to hustle or I'm going to die is totally ingrained in me. Just the sense of like, I'm on, by wanting to get into this business, I'm I'm performing a high wire act. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and what that sort of instilled in me in the way of work ethic and in the way of like calculated risk. I never thought of it this way. Well, like so many of the decisions I've made career-wise or the things that I've tried to do, um, professional musician, I, I made a pretty solid bid for professional screenwriter in my early 20s. Like all sure. of podcaster, a YouTuber, all of the kinds of things I do are probably, I'm probably more open to doing the vow of poverty jobs where it's like high risk, yes. high reward. Because yes. like, what do I have to lose, right? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. In a way, this is one big gamble. I think that as I've gotten older, I've become more conservative. And if, as things have gotten better, my attitude is, okay, bet less of the pie. It's like I'm sitting at a poker, I'm at, sitting at a poker table with a lot of chips. Yeah, and it's yeah. like I'm never going all in ever again. So you've built your own system. You've built your own track, your own, um, your own playground. You can build whatever you want. You can make the things you want to because you built the tools for yourself. If I didn't, I would fail miserably. Like if if I was playing the the Hollywood game, I would suck at it. I did suck at it, you know. So like I've built a system that I can thrive within. 
Well, isn't that the whole thing though? Like the people you don't you don't get you don't nobody does this sort of thing unless they weren't successful doing whatever everybody else does. Yes, yes. I it only that. that's it only works like you only innovate when doing things that have already been done doesn't work for you. A hundred percent. Someone someone told me the people who thrive at Saturday Night Live are the people who were popular in high school. And I heard that and I was like, that makes so much sense to me. I would be a catastrophic failure in that system. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's any, like anything that requires social politics, I'm, I'm miserable at. <laughs> so what is the writing process then? I, I, I don't mean like, you know, tell me how the things get made, but like when you go into writing is the wrong word development, when you have an idea and you go into the room and you say, we're going to make this thing, who's there to say, that's dumb. Don't do it. Thank God those people do exist. Um, <laughs> same, same. Right now we have this little internal development committee and we meet every week. And uh, what we do is we pitch ideas sort of round robin style. And sometimes mm. we get stuck on an idea and we we uh, give it life for a while. And I bring ideas at meeting and other people bring ideas that meeting and we poke holes in each other's ideas. And we also fan the flames on each other's ideas when we really like them. It's group sport. I mean, it's like a, it's a brain trust of, of people, some of whom are uh, high stakeholders in the company and others of whom are just very creative people. And that's how we're doing it for now. And I'm leading those meetings. Are you a and, yes and, and sort of leader? Uh, yeah, often. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, you know, they say like, uh, uh, right drunk at it sober. So, uh, <laughs> okay. I, th- was that like, it was like Hemingway. Hemingway I was going to say Hemingway. I think it's Hemingway. But it's this notion of like, if you're in a brainstorm room, it's like bring a lot of positive energy and that's later that you have to do the decision making. Yeah. We'll also bring to that meeting if anyone else has pitched us an idea or let's say talent comes to us and they're like, Hey, I want to do something like this with you or. Like we'll bring seeds from the outside world into that meeting to germinate. Years ago, I had a meeting. Uh, this is such a weird story. I had a meeting with uh, a woman named Sandy King, who mm-hmm. uh, she's a producer. Uh, she's worked on a ton of stuff. She also, her husband is John Carpenter. Sure. Uh, so I'm like at their house in Hollywood, uh, her and uh, her her like writing partner, and we're talking about this project that we were thinking about doing. Never went anywhere as yeah. most things do, but we're as we're talking it through and we're throwing ideas out there for the story, they kept beginning things with, ooh, here's the bad version. And then they would start talking about whatever thing. And then there's a lot of, oh, but I love that, but what if we change this part of it? And uh, yeah, yeah, me yeah. coming more from the tech industry, I was used to, you go into a room, you're like, all right, here's what I think we should do. And everybody goes, that sucks and here's why. You're stupid. <laughs> And yeah, so seeing totally. people like throw out, here's the bad idea. Let's make it better. Yeah. Uh, like a light bulb went off from me. It's like, oh shit, you don't have to just be a dick to everything everybody says. It's not about uh, showing up with a completed painting. You show up with clay and you shape it together. It's much yeah. more sculpting. And that I love. Terrific analogy. That's a big part of the creative process, I think, especially on the writing side of things. This this notion of like, uh, okay, I'm going to pitch a a bad idea, or even I'm going to spit out a bad first draft. The important thing is that there is something there for us to be able to react to and mold. Yeah. You can't shape a blank canvas. You can't shape a blank page. Yes, exactly. And, and beware the genius, right? Beware the person who locks themselves in a room and comes out with a finished product Mm -hmm. because it's just not, 
it's a it's a great way to arrive at a B minus. Or I guess even in the best case, it's a it's a great way to become reliant on something you don't fully understand. Yeah. Even if they come out with totally. A plus work, then you've got like one person doing that and nobody learns from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean this this business that we're in, you know, uh show development production, it's just such a group sport. Mm-hmm. Such a group sport. And he, even though you know, we sort of fetishize the role of showrunner, and I think showrunner is important. Um, you know, someone who the buck stops with or someone to help uh, uh, steer the ship. An ex-head uh, writer of, of uh, College Humor, Ben Joseph, has a phrase that I love, which is, one gentle hand on the steering wheel. You know, even with Game Changer, which is like so very much my baby, uh, I still allow for... I mean, so much of that is a collaborative effort between me and its creative team. How much are you looking at the outside world? How much are you looking at the zeitgeist or what are other people doing to inform? I guess the real question here is like, what is your relationship with the audience? How how much finger sure. do you have on the pulse of what they care about? And how much are you looking for inspiration? I think I've got one foot in and one foot out. I think that... Um, Here's my relationship to the. First of all, I think feedback from the audience is super important. We've got a hundred thousand people in Discord. Wait, uh, what? Do How s- many people? A hundred thousand people in Discord. Fuck me. I know. Isn't that wild. You. That's like a dropout Discord. It's a dropout Discord. It's free for anyone to join, whether they're subscribed or not. But there's obviously huge incentive to be subscribed. Otherwise, you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> right. But that is nuts. Yeah. I am how do you this is a completely I don't want to derail this but the moderation yeah. on that must be awful. <laughs> it must be a It is job. entirely thanks to a group of wonderful mods that we have working for us who are dropout fans and have free dropout memberships hmm. and who when they're doing we also have mods in our QC process. Oh, really? Um, who get paid for that piece of it. But like okay. we, our mods are extraordinary, like truly extraordinary. Shout out to Jack and Morgan and all the rest of them. I can even hear the audience for this show right now. If they see the look on my face, they're like, does that mean we're going to get comments? No, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, we, yeah, we don't have comments on dropout either for I'm sure a lot of the same reasons that you yeah. don't. Um, Discord kind of serves that purpose for us, but, but we get a lot of feedback and a lot of that feedback is very valuable at the same time as your audience only knows what you've shown them. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's very like there's an analogy. Oh, I could get in trouble for this between um, that feedback process and like artificial intelligence where it's like our mm. artificial intelligence does not know what's not fed into it. Audience. GPT. So it's, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's you're like, you're right. You're absolutely right. So it's like they they want more of what they've already seen mm-hmm. or, or you know, they have ideas that have to do with things that they've already seen, but they can't uh, be sort of like purely generative in the way that we can come yeah, from yeah. the outside. Faster horses, right? They want faster yeah. horses. And that's uh, fine. And there's a lot to be gained from that. And when we, when we poll our audience, I've done this a couple of times on Twitter, just asking like, what do you want to see more of? And uh, so many of the people who follow us on Twitter, the most vocal audience tends to be jet lag fans. So when I say, what do you want to see more of? Everybody says game shows. And I'm like, boy, do I have a subscription service for you. It's called Dropout. (laughs) Uh, But if we 
if we had asked a year ago what people wanted to see more of, they would have said explainer videos. And then we did jet lag and yeah. now everybody loves that. So you can't yeah. go on what the audience says they want. You have to sort of, uh, you know, predict a little bit and, and think of like what things, what qualities does this audience uh, collectively, what do they share? Uh, we yes. have people who are really into travel stuff, people who are into logistics, people who are into nerdy science things. People, okay, what, what can we make out of those ingredients that yeah. they wouldn't have predicted? And that'll be totally. Fun it's funny because like Hollywood does this same thing where it's like, I remember in the days and weeks and months after Ted Lasso first was a hit, all of Hollywood suddenly went like, we need stuff that's wholesome, you know, earnest, very reactive sincere. and earnest. That's what the people want. Yeah. And then it was like, I don't know, maybe months later when Yellow Jackets came out and then everybody went, we need the opposite. We need stuff that's like dark and brooding <laughs> and mysterious. And it's like, just being caught in that perpetual state of like reacting to what's already been done is is a quick way to chase your own tail into a hole. Whereas you you kind of have to imagine what do they don't know they want. Yeah. A friend of mine once said that if you're just chasing after the competitor in front of you, then everything you make is going to look like your competitor's ass. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And That's it, really it's really great. It's true. You end up making things, uh, you can see the end product, but you don't understand the process that went into it. And the understanding of that process, yeah. I think is really important. It's how you make something great is, is through that iteration and, uh, uh, back to what you're saying before, you don't want the genius coming out of the room and just setting something down because nobody else in the room knows how to work with that. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so we have, and and I don't know if you have, or if it would make sense for you to have, you know, criteria um, by which we're judging the potential success of a show. And what what we've been using this system now for almost ever since I originally started at College Humor, like all the way back in 2006, there's this executive by the name of Michael Jackson. That's his real name. Um, he is. Uh, he used to be with Channel Four in the UK. He was responsible for like all sorts of exciting stuff they did, including like uh, putting all of Samuel Beckett's short plays on film, which is one of the coolest things I think Channel Four has ever done. That's cool. Um, he came in in the early days of College Humor, and he said, "You need a sieve, uh, and by a sieve, I mean a, a sort of a." A series of standards or series of of mesh that all ideas are passing through in order hmm. to get done. And what the the decision you have to make is what is your sieve look like? What are the criteria that it's important that an idea be to you? And this is this is good advice for sure. Um, super smart guy. Um, and in the early days of college humor, it was like what goes viral on the internet. Was this if, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, we know the internet likes video games and music videos and, you know, big physical moments and blah, 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 blah. How do we create content that falls through those uh, categories? And today it's, you know, very different, right? As we're producing content for Dropout. And the, the things that the audience, uh, the internet reacts to, we have that machine now. We have 175 creators and their teams out there producing the things that the internet will react to. Yeah. And so much of, of our sieve has been, if we do a project with this creator and then they tell their audience about it, is the audience going to sign up for the service? It's very sure. conversion driven. Uh, sure. because Because our marketing engine is the creators themselves. Where yeah. lately, as we've taken over 
you know, we fund all of our own stuff on every front now. Um, content development for us is much less about let's give money to creators and see what they come up with, which was a fun experiment for a couple of years. But now yeah. as we've done stuff like jet lag or um, the the prince, which was uh, uh, the trans uh, reshaping of Shakespeare run as a, yeah. a five week theatrical play that we filmed or night of the coconut, so cool. which is a sci-fi movie about an evil coconut with googly eyes. When we've done weirder <laughs> stuff, it has been a bit more developed. Um, we get more, I don't want to say like cult cultural cachet, not like we're getting Oscars or something. Although the Prince won a ton of awards. What we are yeah. getting is taken seriously as art in a way yes. that an explainer video doesn't generally get taken seriously as art. And I, I, I don't mean to say anything negative about explainer videos. We have built our empire on explainer videos. Love them. Yes. But uh, I think there's room for us to do more interesting things or use explainer videos and video essays and uh, for our rants about uh, this bad person on the internet, all great stuff. We can use that yeah. as our launch pad to do bigger, more interesting, sure. um, more uh, mainstream adjacent, if not mainstream. Because we like you need to build a bridge there, right? Closer and closer to your dream of being the A24 of the category. Right. Or like like treating creators in a certain way is important uh -huh. and and uh, like empowering things is important. The thing that we're missing that A24 has is a shitload of Oscars. They have all <laughs> of the fucking Oscars. Of money. <laughs> the, uh, uh, yes, that too. That's how you get yeah. uh, it's like talent plus money equals Oscars, right? That's how you get that. Sure, sure, sure. Their office is yeah. right across the street from us. I've thought about just standing outside waiting until I like, I'm just going to pull up their LinkedIn, wait until I recognize somebody and just ask for a meeting. Like, hey, I want to pick your brains on some stuff. Let's see how this goes. The room where it happens, Dave. Right, you know, right. That's, that's Gotta get hustle clever. culture. I can see their conference room from my desk. When they're on a Zoom call, I can see the screen. I'm not even joking. I can literally see when they're on Zoom calls and I'm like, huh, get some binoculars. Like, what can I, what can I extrapolate from this? I love to imagine you just, you know, like watching like, you know, whoever it is, John Malkovich on Zoom, you know, talking about some project. <laughs> I know that's who I go to for A24. Um, I think that you could not take swings on stuff that feels outside of uh, Nebula's sweet spot if you didn't have a bigger vision than your fans necessarily for like what makes Nebula. Or, for that matter, a bigger sieve, right? Like a bigger, a, a sort of like a higher standard or, or a vision for the future that's bigger than, than what Nebula is right now. We're, we're the same. Like our audience, if they could peek into our development folder, would be like dumbfounded <laughs> by some of the stuff that we have in there. What the fuck are you doing? Like, where, like, you know what, why, where does this come from? Like, this isn't what I think of Dropout today. And that's because the set of standards that we're developing are like, they're certainly strategic, don't get me wrong. Um, they're very strategic, but they are, uh, you know, probably a year or two out into the future based on where we are. Yeah, and even uh, for us internally, uh, creators, I had a creator come to me a week or so ago saying like, well, are, are we not still like an educational streaming service. I'm like, when were we? Our biggest projects in the last year were trans Shakespeare, evil coconut and game show. Yeah. yeah. What, where's the education in this? I have decided I'm going to start saying, um, 
because I've always like danced around it by saying like education-ish, education-y, uh, sure. trying to play with a little bit. I think that ultimately it does a disservice. It makes it feel academic. Um, and I don't yeah. think that our, our philosophy or our ethos has changed, but my, my new phrasing for this is we're not educational, we're nutritious. Anything oh, we do like has that. to like, yeah. has to have some substance. It has to enrich you in some way. That can yeah. mean anything. It just, it can't be empty calories. There's no junk food here. There's no dumb bullshit. Sure. There's no prank videos. There's no uh, stupid yeah. memes, mostly. Like the, it needs to, yeah. like this has to have some meaning to it. For us, the, the big picture, I have not been shy about this. Uh, I want to build a bridge into people's living rooms. I want to build a bridge sure. into the way people think about creators within pop culture. And you're not necessarily going to get there with Mr. Beast taking up all of the oxygen in the room. And you're not going to sure. get there with uh, a public perception of creators or YouTubers or TikTokers as like dipshit dilettantes who lucked into fame. Sure. What you need to sure, do sure. is prove that you're capable of making things. And part of why I, I point to A24 is they're doing, uh, they're, they're releasing the Raka Raka movie. They're doing Backrooms with the, the Backrooms kid. He's filming it. He's directing the movie over this summer. Like they're doing yeah. stuff with YouTubers. They see the value there. And yeah. if they're willing to reach just a little bit in our direction, we need to start reaching a little bit in, in that direction, not by thinking that if I work hard enough on YouTube, then I'll be a celebrity and I can like ditch my thing and go start a late night talk show because sure, 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 that doesn't sure. work. Uh, but you have to build towards and what is the real bridge between these two worlds? That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, if we're, if we're, I, I love A24 as a company, and I, but I'm uh, woefully under-researched on them. But I think that um, what I would just observe that they've done is sort of brought a lot of attention back to like the art of filmmaking. I mean, mm -hmm. even right there in the logo, the way the logo sort of crackles like old school film, there's this appreciation of like the craft of film Yeah, in a way that I don't think that, you know, Hollywood, especially as Hollywood goes more theme park ride, kind of like distances itself from. And what I hear you saying, which makes a lot of sense to me is, you know, creator as craftsperson, yes. you know? I would describe their their philosophy, and I could be off base. I'm, I'm speaking from what I've seen more than um, what they've said. But my read on it is where traditional production studios, uh, uh, traditional uh, Hollywood companies are all about what, what will make the audience happy. And A24's sure. core foundation seems to be what will make the filmmakers happy. And sure. the audience will be happy sure. if you make the filmmakers happy. And that is exactly where we come from. It, our yeah. job is not to make the Nebula audience happy. Our job is to enrich and make the creators happy. And it's their job yeah. to make the audience happy. We just have to give them the tools to do their job. And then we'll win. Something I really appreciate that A24 has done, as well as like old school Adult Swim, is because their brand stands for alternative, it's like they could create stuff that's critically well-received or terribly received and it's all on brand. <laughs> <laughs> they have some affordance you know, it's there. Like, yeah. Our brand is to do stuff that's like wild. So it's like going to be polarizing. That's the point. So what is your big picture? And this is going to change and evolve over time. But what is your, not end game, but what is what is the goal? What is the, 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 the What are the stars you're reaching for here? That's a good question, dude. It's kind of like I said earlier, I'm afraid to be too ambitious. Like, I think we've been living pretty show by show. Hmm. 
hmm. in that we that we will continue to for a while. If we look at like uh, what dropout is and like why people like dropout today, um, it's a fewfold. Uh, people love that we're like a family of talent. Mm-hmm. So like one of the things that we've had to really think about is how do we introduce new folks to that equation and offer them like a good landing? You know what I mean? Cause like, we don't want to be a network that's like only 10 faces, uh, but how do we like grow in a way? Introducing uh, new talent, you mean? Yeah. Introducing new mm-hmm. talent and, and supporting that talent in such a way that the audience really embraces them is one thing we're thinking about. We're thinking about how do we graduate from being like the game or panel show network into something that's like a little broader, mm-hmm. um, that stands for something a little broader and like what that is, I could say out loud, but I'd rather just show you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, either we succeed at that or don't and the proof will be in the work. It won't be because I say it out loud. What do you see as the core of the dropout brand? Most people would think game show or panel show or comedy. How do you see it? Yeah. Well, today it's, it's unscripted comedy for sure. If, if you look at what's working for us, it's like when we started dropout, we were like, okay, we're going to have the longer form unscripted personality based stuff. And that's really going to be our retention vehicle. It's what's going to keep people on the platform. And then we're going to have our like slightly shorter form, more premium scripted content. And that is going to get them on the platform. And then the former did both and the latter did neither. Hmm. Uh, So it was a really easy decision once we took over the company to be like, well, let's stop producing shorter form, higher quality scripted programming because it's not doing anything right? and focus on this longer form unscripted content. And, you know, our top three shows, which are uh, dimension 20 game changer and make some noise are varying degrees of improv. It's like make some noise is pure improv in the style of whose lines in any way dimension 20, which is a, TTRPG actual play show is is more of like a you'd call it improv but you'd also call it like unscripted in the sense of the individual's personalities are like really coming through right it's like a right. hang, hanging out and game changer is probably a little closer to that too where there's improv involved but it's like you know you're watching people have an experience right like that's the fun of it dimension 20 by the way is is the go-to example because i get um I'd say once a month or so, somebody pitches me like, let's just do a D&D game and we film it. And I'm like, yeah, there are so many bad ways to do that. There are so many there are so many ways to assume that uh, that's just going to be a hit because you enjoy it. But uh, yeah. you enjoying it and the audience enjoying it are very different things. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's a very crowded space and it's hard to like find room in the already crowded mm-hmm. space for something that feels original. And I would say I marvel at how there seems to be audience for all of it. I think it's like a parasocial thing of you want to watch. Like, why is there an audience for study with me videos? How, sure. How is that totally. a thing? Why is there an entire industry? Like you, you and I are like roughly the same age, I think. Right. Great question. <laughs> what, what year were you born? How old are you? I'm uh, I'm 38. Uh, I'm 41. Okay, sure. So roughly the same age. Yeah. When you were a kid and you're like playing video games with your friends and you're taking turns, when you're not holding the controller, you're waiting to hold the controller. 
Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So why is there an entire industry now of watching other people play video games? That's the worst part. It's a really good question. I I don't, this sounds cynical, but like, I think loneliness is a factor. Yes. Yes. The internet made us all crave human attention a little bit more. And uh, very positively, um, I think this sort of person who would have been playing video games at home alone and not, you know, as an adult and yeah. didn't have a lot of friends who could come play, it makes it easier to feel like you're social and to get social experiences yeah. that you yourself have not, um, you know, developed for one reason or another. I heard a theory that part of the reason that cooking shows are so popular these days is that we are missing the experience of the hearth. It's like a replacement biologically for the hmm. campfire. You know, for for all of us being gathered around the campfire together. So what you have instead are sort of like campfire simulators, <laughs> which is like I want to hang out and like watch food be cooked because it's comforting in the same way that it would be if I was watching like, you know, a hog go round and round on top of a fire. Uh, I know it's kind of sad, but it's like I do think that's the reason that a lot of this stuff is popular. Yeah. Yeah. Is is because it's like. It's friendship simulation. It's community simulation. It's, you know. So dropout is what you watch when you want the experience of having friends. <laughs> and nebula is what you watch when you want to have the experience of learning something. I do think that there is a component of dropout that's that. But I think that what what makes us most exciting and where I'm what I'm most excited to explore is... If you look at what Dimension 20 is, unscripted, and you look at what Game Changer is, unscripted. I'm doing a lot of air quotes for those of you who can't see me. Uh, what makes noise is unscripted. There is a lot of writing that goes into those shows. Mm. And what I'm really interested in is in an era where we're almost allergic to scripted content because it comes across as so inauthentic now that we've had such a, a tremendous amount of exposure to like authenticity through platforms like TikTok and YouTube. Yeah. What are other interesting ways to straddle the line between scripted and unscripted? I've talked about this before. I think you are 100% correct using the A word, using authenticity. I am, yes. I'm, I'm very frustrated by that word because I think it's been weaponized and packaged and sure. sold back to us. Um, I'm no longer interested in authenticity uh, because authenticity is how you get the dipshit dilettante influencers who uh, who knows why they have an audience other yes. than they look good with filters on their face. And this sure. box, I'm holding up now my phone, this box has, has trained us to watch a certain format of show uh, at a certain moment in our lives in the bathroom uh, uh, when you're standing in line. And you, the, the consumption, the ingestion of those things is very different from what you get from uh, a television or from a, a theater screen that the kinds of the C word content that you uh, other C word consume, it's a different experience and we expect different things. We want different things. It serves a different purpose in our lives. And yeah. I think that what makes a really good parasocial creator relationship work is the exact same thing as what makes Ted Lasso work. And it's not authenticity, yeah. it's sincerity. Sure. Meaning sure. what you say, not just saying something that sounds like you mean it, which is how I read yeah. the word authenticity, but actually meaning it. And uh, when when we work with creators and we see them uh, trying new things, it's that sort of earnestness in the attempt 
uh, from what yeah. we've seen, that works really well, even if the concept itself isn't fully executed to perfection. I totally agree with you. I mean, I I have very little tolerance for the pure, quote unquote, authentic influencer content in the sense of I don't think there's actually any there there. Mm-hmm. Like the content that they're producing is is immediately uh, manipulative because the purpose yes. of that content is like this content is about me connecting with you, even though right. that's not what I'm doing actually. Yep. Um, I'm much more interested in uh, when I use the word authentic, like case in point, uh, love uh, Tom Scott, love the work you've done with Tom. I met him recently for for uh, the first time in L.A. when he was passing through town and I sat down with him and I realized I don't know anything about him. I mean, it's by design, really interesting, like multidimensional human being, by the way. But his he too content, is a private person. He's very private. yeah, super private person. His content is fantastic and sincere. It, it doesn't reek of artifice. It's not like Tom is trying to be someone who he's not. No, but the content has the content is real value. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I think the magic of of Tom Scott is that he is exactly what he claims to be. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Like the even moments of friction he and I have had, uh, privately or publicly, it's sure. always it's always because um, he he is standing by what he believes in. Sure. And so am I. And I think that we respect each other more for those moments of friction because it's not like you're a jerk, I hate you. It's I really totally. believe thing. I really believe thing. Okay, how do we resolve this? And you get there in a different way when both people are coming at it from a perspective of not just trying to be right, uh, but yeah. trying to like, what is the best solution? And I, sure. I don't mean it to be like we fight all the time. Uh, it's been like two things we've had slight disagreements over. But uh, <laughs> there's a, you you learn a lot about a person's character uh, in those moments where you're where where there's some heat, there's some friction. Totally. Funny story, when we were going around trying to sell Adam Ruins Everything, and by extension, Adam Conover to television networks, there was a lot of, uh, yeah, but this is really like a, a character, right, that we can like dial up and dial down. And if we need a version of Adam who's a little cooler or chiller or less opinionated or less abrasive, we can get that from you, right? This is a performance. And all of us, including Adam, would sit around in those rooms and say, yes, of course, when like that is exactly who Adam is. Like Adam <laughs> is the kind of person who will come into the kitchen and you're eating a bowl of granola and he will say, you know how bad that is for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> we essentially, in order to convince networks on Adam Ruins Everything, we had to pretend that it was less authentic than it actually was. That's amazing. Because they want a character. Um, they want control. Yeah, because they want something they can control. Yeah, I think that so much of the the uh, influencer market is people selling you something and, and by way, I don't mean like sponsorships that's whatever ads are ads but when the content itself is an ad and here's yeah. the difference between authenticity and sincerity um, sincerity is I have something I want to share and authenticity is I'm going to lean into things about me to sell yes. you me I am here yes. to either sell yes. a product because this is a full-on integrated ad or I'm here to sell myself because I am the product so that you keep watching me and you keep coming back to the me store and buying more me so that I can go buy a Lambo or, you know, whatever it is you want to get. That is pretty sinister. It can get pretty sinister. I I agree. I mean, I think all of us at Dropout are very conscious of the extent to which the audience 
really hungers for us as people, like wants a direct sort of relationship with mm-hmm. us, wants to know things about. It. I mean, whatever it, whatever aspect of our personal lives we serve up to them, they devour. And so all mm-hmm. of us are actually like very careful. Uh, not to serve up too much. It's funny you'd say that. I've been so much more careful about personal life stuff over the last few years because I, yeah, I I hit a point where I, I just kind of felt like nobody cares. Nobody cares about my personal <laughs> sure. life. I don't, I don't need to tweet sure. about who I'm dating or when I'm getting married or when I go on vacation. Like, sure. who am I trying to impress? Nobody cares. Yeah, I don't care. Um, yeah. and so I just kind of like step back from that. Working with this kind yeah. of creator, I realized like I need to dial that back a little bit, or it's going to be seen in a different way. And now, totally. even though that it was a choice I made, nobody made me do that. Um, but looking back, I'm glad that I did it that way because now that Nebulous sort of taken this, taken on this life of its own and it's become sort of a parasocial character for people, um, I regularly get referred to in comments of videos or on our subreddit or on, on Twitter or whatever as like people just call me Dave Nebula. I am now a character to them. <laughs> You're uh, like Tim Apple. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And people will will watch or listen to this show because they want yeah. more of like the insight into the Nebula thing. And so this wasn't supposed to yeah. be the Nebula show, but it kind of has become that um, yeah. because that's the part that people are interested in. And I'm very grateful to my past self for shutting the fuck up a little bit more because sure. too much of my personal life now uh, could be destructive. It could be not because there's skeletons, but because it's, um, I don't know. I just kind of like keeping these things separate. I don't need, I totally agree with you. I actually have a role model. I have someone whose social, uh, accounts I look at and I say, this is how to do it. Oh, who? And it's, it's weird Al Yankovic because weird Al (laughs) only ever tweets for his fan base. Mm -hmm. There's no other reason he tweets. Or, or or post anything to social media. He's like, this is for the collection of people that love me and what I do. And that's who I am servicing. All I want to be to these people really is the host of Game Changer mm-hmm. and the CEO of this company. That's that's who I am to them. That's all I want to be to them. When you when you talk about these these role models, Weird Al, by the way, can you get any more sincere than Al? I mean, there you go. Like that, everything he does... Is like, do you do you know him? Have you done stuff with him? Yeah, we we uh, we produced a couple of music videos with him. He, uh, my only interaction I had, he was a guest on my old show. Uh, we did a a revival episode towards the beginning of COVID, where it was me and my old yeah. co-host and Weird Al just talking about our COVID lockdown experience. And yeah. he like he told the story about how he met his wife, and like it was like one, it was bonkers being on a Zoom call with Weird Al. Uh, sure. But two is like you sort of five minutes in, you've forgotten that that's a thing and you're just having yeah. a conversation with the sweetest person you've ever spoken yes. to in your life. And like, yeah, he'll ask how you're doing or about your life. And it doesn't feel like a celebrity doing a thing. There's no bit. He's genuinely interested. So when you look at yeah. like who the role model should be, that sort of sincerity and that sort of like commitment to I don't know how conscious it is. I don't know how how other people do this. I find for myself, sure. I, I often feel like I am an alien. Uh, I'm an alien sociopath trying to uh, learn how to behave like a human. So I sort of we look all to, feel that way to a degree. <laughs> I sort of look at like this person handles this kind of situation really well. I should be more like that person. And yeah. I, I don't know how naturally it comes to somebody like like him. But I, I look at uh, my role models um, 
in, 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 in the business sense, folks like Tim Cook or Kevin Feige, people who are like yeah. very, you never see them lose their cool. You never see them lose sure. their shit. They're always kind of like, even even if it's a tough moment, it's always like, uh, yeah, and here's why that thing happened like that. Or, you know, these are the moments where, and they don't they don't say anything bad. They don't, they're not here to talk shit. They're not here to stir up yeah. drama. They just want to do good work with good people and move on. For sure. Do you have to practice that? How do you get good at that kind of thing? You're on camera way more than me. I've been on the internet for a long time. And I've actually had waves of popularity. So like when I was a part of the College Humor Show on MTV in 2009, I went through a very brief period of time where I was like getting recognized on the street all the time. And then nobody knew me for a very long time. And then more recently hmm. have more notoriety again. And so there's a way in, in which I both, A, appreciate the attention and also understand the uh, inherent danger of the attention. Do you see it as danger or do you see it as a responsibility? Uh, both, but definitely dangerous for sure. I mean, attention notoriety can like really mess with people's heads. I've seen a lot of folks come through College Humor and go on to really meaningful notoriety, um, not even just College Humor cast members, but like, you know, the folks who have come through the company and I've maintained relationships over with over the years, uh, watching them sort of grapple with being popular. It's like, it can really mess with you or not. I also, my father is a famous person. Mm. And I think that too kind of like helped me, helped show me kind of like the, you know, pluses and minuses of that kind of attention. And I can hear a bunch of listeners right now opening new tabs as you say that. Like who? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so he's yeah. Robert Reich. He's former secretary of labor for Bill Clinton and the pundit kind of character. And it's funny because he too, you know, it's like he was secretary of labor for Clinton. And then he came out of the administration, like no one cared about him for a while. And then he became this like social media superstar and now people really care about him again so he's experienced his own waves of attention that's got to be healthy too to like you build up your notoriety through the work you do and just the position you're in rather than like your persona and so that later on yeah. if you're doing a little bit more uh punditry or persona driven stuff you've gotten there more organically it's been a, a ramp up rather than like one day you're unknown and the next day you're mega famous Totally. I also think, too, anyone who sort of like banks their reputation on their personality only, like what a fragile thing. Because like no one is purely good in the world. <laughs> we we did. So I, I was seeing a lot of stuff on social media about like how wholesome and good I seemed. And we did this quote unquote evil season of Game Changer where I was like super Machiavellian. I did a bunch of fucked up stuff. And then I started seeing comments along the lines of like, oh my God, I wouldn't want to like run into Sam Reich in a dark alleyway. And I was like, thank God, I'm so much more comfortable here. Yeah. It's like, you know, like, don't put me on a pedestal at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, there's a line you have to walk too, because like you are also, you run a business and the way people see your character might affect the way people see the other parts of the business. Like, um, I play a version of myself um, on on uh, in, in the videos that Patrick Willems makes. He has these like scripted bits that are an in-universe because he makes if you haven't seen his stuff, he makes he doesn't make video essays about movies. He makes movies about movies. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, so I, I play a version of myself on the show and like we'll have to sit down sometimes and, and talk through like, OK, we can't I can't have this in the dialogue. And he's like, well, why not? It's yeah. like this isn't real. And I'm like. 
because in the dialogue, we say something about needing to cut the budgets. And what you need to understand is I can't make a joke about needing to cut budgets because people will read that as like nebulous having hard times. We aren't. And so we have to like go through and completely rewrite the dialogue to it being a joke about how he had to cut his budgets because he wasn't worth the, you know, but it's supposed to be self-deprecating, but it comes off like, I can't say that or I can't yell at an employee. I can't yell at a creator. Like that can't be my persona. Not because it's not funny. It is funny. It's but super like, tricky. Imagine a worst case scenario where you make a joke about budget cuts and then six months later, there's an actual horrible thing that happens and you have to lay people off. And then now everyone's yeah. pointing it like, well, six months ago, you're making videos laughing at it. Like, no, yeah. oh God, that would be terrible. Lately, there's been some folks, uh, you know, there's like, oh, like and Sam, I'm such a Sam Rice fan. And someone, you know, under will be like, Sam's a CEO. Why are you celebrating a CEO? And I want to be like, <laughs> good for you. Do think critically <laughs> about me. I'm not running a co-op. <laughs> right. I'm specifically not. <laughs> we're often accused of having a, like we're a socialist streaming service. And it's like, nah, dude, I, I make money off of socialists talking about socialism. What does that make me? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, for the love of God, enjoy my work. But, you know, like, yeah. don't you know, put me on some sort of ideological pedestal. We are both in a position of we have businesses to run with employees and we we get to do the content creator dance out there, uh, putting on the things that we want to put on and making things that we want to make. How do you balance the parts where you are you need to have fun and make fun shit versus the parts where you have to be really serious and make critical decisions that could affect people's paychecks? It's funny when I think about like what I'm proud of, I'm obviously like really proud of Game Changer as a, as a piece of work, but I am even more proud of Dropout as a company and, and the way in which we've been able to turn it around and, and um, you know, provide content for an audience and provide opportunity for talent. I think I'm lucky that like there's a little bit of separation of church and state in terms of um, I have my shows where I get to like really play within the context of a budget. And then I have the macro job of like running the business and uh, helping run other people's shows, but they don't directly interfere very much with each other. It's almost like, okay, time to produce my show, zoom in uh, micro experience. Okay. Time to run the company, zoom out macro experience. Um there's sometimes a little bit of competition within me when I want to do stuff that's like very ambitious and, you know, creatively, you know, the artist piece of you is always trying to create the best possible product, no matter how much it costs. And operationally, the executive part of you is always at war with that other half of yourself. (laughs) I really do earnestly believe that some of the best creativity comes from limits yeah, constraints. Absolutely. It's like um, it's difficult to write poetry without meter and rhyme, mm. you know, where it's like the, the constraints are actually like a part of the art form. Um, and I I love like the piece of Game Changer that's so fun creatively, no matter what, it's got to begin the same. It's like the way that the show goes is it always begins with my intro and I invite the guests out and we're on the set. And we're in the studio and then it can venture off in any number of directions. But that restraint kind of reins it in both from a budgetary and a creative perspective. Yeah, it enables you if you can't think outside the box if you don't have a box. Like you have to yeah, start sure. with something. That's the that's the lump for of sure. clay. The the clay yeah. is the constraint. Do you totally. do you think of it as 
what you're building is you personally, not the company, but or do you think of what you're building is the library of content and the show formats and that is the legacy or is the structure of dropout the legacy there's going to come a point somewhere in the distant future where you're like i'm going to do something else and you're going to hand somebody else the keys is the intent to hand somebody else the keys or is the intent um to just like you know you get hit by a bus shut it all down <laughs> <laughs> this is, I'm taking oh, a long man. way to say like what what is the thing that is most important for you to be remembered for? Oh wow. I I do think it's the content first and foremost, you know? I mean, I think hopefully we've created we are creating an environment that's conducive to creating some like really interesting and unusual stuff and I'd like to be remembered for this stuff. You know, drop out uh I'm not trying to turn Dropout into some like really schmancy brand. Uh, my my mission isn't that you know drop the term Dropout be sort of like a household name all over the world in the same way that Apple is. Like I want for people to love the shows first and foremost. If I got hit by a bus, I would hope that it would go on. I know it would, uh, and because uh, uh, there's lots of other people talented people involved in making dropout go but as far as handing over the keys is concerned oh boy i don't know about that what about you dave when it comes to nebula and the brand and what you what do you want to be remembered for what's your legacy i went out as soon as i can possibly get it. I'm sick of this shit. <laughs> i want to <laughs> retire <laughs> buy so, a house in hawaii i'm so tired no i um i feel like we're, we're we're inventing a lot of things not because they've never been done before but because we the tools to do the things we want to do just didn't exist for us. Nobody has done this for creators. Nobody has built um, a mainstreamification machine for creators. Nobody has built a streaming video platform that is owned by creators where they get to make the creative decisions and it isn't for sure. their their success isn't um, determined by, by uh, systems that they don't understand or control. Because so much of being a YouTuber is believe uh you have to have faith in a system that you don't understand or control which brings you your audience and a different system yeah. which you don't understand or control which brings you the money and those things are connected but you're not really sure how and you might think that you're successful because of this but you're actually successful for this other thing and because you didn't invest yeah. in this you invested in the other thing you're not as successful as you could be there's all this yeah. um tribal knowledge and urban legend and um misinformation around how the system works and what we're yeah. trying to invent are uh, tools that help those smart, wonderful people who make those things make better things and get a better understanding of how the system works so they can they can take more ownership of their work and then do better work, removing some constraints. Yeah. As you know, things can be two things. There's part of me that wants and loves uh, building those tools and, and finding interesting paths to developing uh, new processes, new structures to, to help other people. But a lot of it is born selfishly out of just wishing I had those tools for myself. I spent sure. years as a struggling musician uh, and years as a struggling YouTuber, years as a struggling podcaster, uh, to, you know, struggling various degrees of success, but nothing super breakout. Yeah. And it all came down to like frustration with, I wish I had better tools. Like if I could at the end, totally. I'd like to build everything I could dream of and then go back in time and use those tools and build out like my yeah. actual creator career differently. But that's, I mean, being an inventor, that's how inventors thrive right i mean that's how inventors work it's like you see a hole 
in the market and it's oftentimes associated with your own need. Right. Right. It's uh, like, oh, like why isn't there a can opener that's also a radio? To use a terrible yeah, example. Yeah, that's that's why there's the old expression, desperation for fame and relevance is the mother of invention. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a tough thing to do because I've I've been so much more fortunate and so much more successful building things than I have been at creating things like mm. the shows I've done or, or things, uh, 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 like with my band or whatever. Uh, so it's hard not to like take that as a hint from the universe that I should stay on this track. But at some point, um, it would be nice to take some of the things I've built and then go make some stuff. And I say sure. that I've built, like I've got an amazing team of people, uh, both on the staff side and on the creator side all around me who are like, making this thing possible. I can't take all the credit or even most of the credit. Um, sure. But it would be great at some point to get to enjoy some of the the things that, that we've done uh, before I'm too old to make stuff. I mean, I think balance, like you can find that balance. Uh, and uh, it is helpful when you create something that's like important enough to the institution that then like doing it doesn't feel totally selfish. It's like... <laughs> Oh, actually, this is like an important part of the business model. Yeah, I could greenlight any show I want to make right now, but that's you know, for the first two seasons of Game Changer, that was not the case. You know, really, it was only really, yeah, it was only really in season three that the show became super relevant to the business. Mm. I would have guessed that that would have been uh, more of a thing earlier on. It was immediately very popular, but there just wasn't very much of it. Oh, I see. I see. It was until we figured out how to produce it more and more at scale that it was like, oh, this is now, you know, important to the business. But conversely, like we need more folks who are creative and speak the language of creative people in seats like yours or yours. Um, sure. Or mine. I mean, I think uh, largely our types of seats are filled by those who like really can't. Yes. And yes. like that is a problem or have no, in, like no direct interest who are like, you know, I, I'm like really interested in the world of the arts, but because I'm not at all interested in producing art, I became an agent or a manager right? or, you know, and now I'm in the world of like monetizing it. Like, that's actually kind of a problem, I think. <laughs> like, you know, you start to look at, like, stuff like this as as uh, assets in a bank vault, you know, because you're not more intimately familiar with how it works. And it's it's about understanding the not, not just the process, but the value of the process. Uh, my friend Rene Ritchie, who's also the creator liaison now at YouTube, so he is the he is the person who works between YouTube as the thing and the creators trying to like sure. you know, help, help people reconcile their, their needs. Uh, he talks a lot about the difference between mining and farming. And there's a lot ah. of people in, I think Hollywood certainly, but in this industry, uh, the creator economy, as the, as the kids are calling it, who they see what we do or what influencers do, what creators do. It's all about it's a resource to be mined. You must come in and extract as much value as you can from this, and then you win. And then there are people who see it as farming, where you come in and you create systems, you add value, and then later things grow out of that, and you can enjoy that harvest, but then things keep sure. growing. But you have to keep putting a little bit more into it, and there's there's like a stable ecosystem you're aiming for. Absolutely. 
I want to be really careful here not to demonize anybody involved in this. And I'm going to keep it vague, the, the name's vague. But there was someone who came to me recently who works for a major media company and said, we want to buy Game Changer. Isn't that? And the, the assumption was like, isn't that great news? Like, we want to buy it. We, we want it for ourselves, but we will need to own it completely. And, um, you know, and as if... <laughs> As if the work that I had been doing on it was merely to create an asset that would one day be valuable to someone like them. You this know? is this is a Hollywood media company or a creator economy media yes. company? No, a Hollywood company. There is a creator economy media company who is going around right now trying to buy channels, trying to sure. buy up YouTube channels so that they get access to the catalog so that they can... Uh, distribute it and license it and monetize it in other markets and, you know, do, do content licensing distribution deals all over the place. Because again, they yeah. see it as like you come in and you buy the rights to the mine and you own all of the yes. gold in it. They're not yeah. interested in planting more seeds. They're not interested in sowing. They just want to come and reap. To your point, Dave, I mean, like they're, they're so desperate now because they haven't been running healthy ecosystems. I mean, for the most part, these ecosystems are, are unhealthy and so they're in the practice of piracy, not in the Hollywood sense, mm -hmm. but in the in the plundering sense. Yeah, which is like we're going to come in and we're going to grab stuff, and it doesn't matter. It could be a book, or it could be a you know web series, or it could be a this or a that, and we just got to like get it out and see if it works, and it'll probably crash and burn. Yep. You know, and it's it's all getting they're getting more desperate because these ecosystems are becoming less healthy. There's a a Venn diagram of internet nerds who are going to lose their minds that we're doing this. Sure. This show. Uh, the question, we've been getting this a lot lately. Um, I think because of people seeing some similarities in a couple of things. Um, and I don't know how much you're hearing this, but we are definitely getting the question of like, wouldn't it be cool to do a crossover thing? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how cool. far down this, this uh, trail we should walk right <laughs> here right now. Um, but I'll go on record as saying like, I'm absolutely down. I love what you guys are doing. We're all big yeah. fans over here. It's cool to have you on this show. It's cool to talk about this stuff. Just like for me personally, it's cool. Like, again, don't get yes. to talk to many other people who do this job. Um, but for it's sure. also as, as a community, um, the creators over here, uh, staff over here, like genuinely we're fans of what you guys are doing. So if there's, if there's a thing Same we can man. do, like, Hey, we're, we're in. I a hundred percent agree and am also down. And I think you know that mm. it, it might even be that I didn't bring this up without having some. Well, I'll, I'll speak transparently a little bit like it from the first time we talked. It's like, man, it'd be cool if we did something like, yeah. And then it's a matter of like, we just got to figure out what that thing is. And I'm sure that the yes, we'll we'll get uh, we'll get tweets about what that should be. And some of those sure. we, we already have. And some of them are pretty good ideas. Um, but yeah, I Hell think yeah. That, that like dropout is uh, Nebula with a drink in its hand and Nebula is dropout with a book in its hand, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Something like that. Uh, so That's there, a lot of fun. I never would have guessed like uh, coming into this before. I forget how we got connected. I think it was like a Twitter thing and maybe Ben, I think maybe did an email. Oh, was it Ben? Else. It totally yeah. could have been. Ben is like the great connector. He, he doesn't even have a Twitter account. Isn't that crazy? That is wild. Like yeah. I, I mean, not that I'm aware of anyway. Like I can't find that guy in social media. I think he's like he's on LinkedIn, which would make sense. Yeah. Uh, but like he's yeah, he's this incredibly well connected dude who like 
always in the shadows, always connecting people. Ben Rellis, that guy's like, amazing. Uh, he's uh, what Malcolm Gladwell would call the networker. Yeah, yeah. When people started talking about, I think the my my first introduction to you really was people tweeting at me that you should be on this show, and oh, then funny. and then uh, like I think we wound up following each other and we exchanged like some DMs or something, and then Ben was the one to like actually make a connection happen. But from then, I wouldn't have have predicted necessarily that it would make a ton of sense for us to do anything together, that it would make any yeah. sense. It's like, oh, we're the nerdy stuff. You're the funny stuff. But like as we go further down this path, it's like it really is a much tighter Venn diagram than I would have expected. Yeah. I mean, the truth, especially like once you start stripping away the particular content types. But even then, I mean, like jet lag is, is jet lag right now your biggest show? Are you allowed to say that? The truth is. Jetlag is not our biggest show by views, by watch hours, by conversions, by revenue. Sure. It is our biggest show by volume. And by volume, I mean fans yelling about it. Yeah, We have a very, very, very vocal audience that yeah. our biggest shows don't have. And that's incredibly yes. important. And it's not to discount the the impact of Jetlag because on all of those fronts, it is definitely up there, way up there. Yeah. Um, but the assumption that it's the biggest is interesting to me because that's that assumption I think is mostly made on how passionate the fans are. Uh, but yeah. I also want to be careful not to discount all how important all of the other shows are. And the reason I care yeah. about this, the reason it's worth articulating that, is it's by design. If we had one show sure. that was so big that if jet lag, you know, disappeared tomorrow, we'd be out of business. Yeah. That's not the case, and that's a good thing. Oh, no, for sure. Nobody for sure. wants that to be the case. Uh, Sam from Wendover included yes. does not want that to be the case. So yeah. it is it is definitely way up there. Definitely way up there. Yeah. I think, you know, my point is like a network is always only ever like one hit away from being redefined in some way, shape, yeah. or form. Yeah. And like Oh, I see what you mean. You know, yeah. There is a huge amount of crossover between what jet lag is and what our most popular programming is. Like huge amount of crossover. We've we've been hearing a lot about that from fans who have also noticed. <laughs> and so now, like, it's funny. Uh, I'm I'm sure you get a similar thing where even creators will see how well jet lag's doing and how popular it is. And now creators are coming to us like, hey, I want to do a thing like jet lag. What if I did? And the pitches aren't bad. It's just interesting that, like, they are definitely different now. People are like, yes, that looks like yes, fun. Yes. I want to do, not even the success. People are like, that looks like a ton of fun. I want to do something really fun and on camera like that. How do we do a show like that for me? A hundred percent. I mean, this circles back to this you know, thing of like, people only know what they've seen works, right? So we get pitches along the lines of Game Changer all the time. Um, no surprise there. No surprise there. But then Game Changer itself, because it has to be different every episode, it's like I just suck them all in like Kirby. <laughs> and I, it's like, great idea. You're I just the make next. them great. Now it's a Game Changer idea. How yeah, about that? Yeah. That's a good. Ooh, that's what we need. Yeah. We need the show where everybody's pitches get rolled into that new show. Yeah. You just pass pass all those pitches off to Wendy and have. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. So, like, uh, <laughs> no, no joke. This show is me taking all the calls I have to do all day and turning it into yes. content. So there you go. Anything, That's super efficient right there. Yeah. Yeah. This is just, a, you know, more more Zoom calls for me. Let's go. Like I said, the uh, there's there's a a cross section of of shared audience here who's going to be really happy that we did this. And yeah. uh, I think those are the people I, I would be willing to bet that this is the episode that gets the most 
uh, people who listen all the way through. Oh, wow. I like that bet. Even even the parts where we're both definitely going to get canceled. <laughs> so there is that. Uh-huh. All right, well, I, I just want to say thank you again for doing this. This is... Uh, it's my neat, pleasure, Dave. It's neat that we've been able to to connect uh, over the last few months and talk about this stuff and and uh, Nebula and Dropout getting to become friends. It's cool to Hell think yeah. about all the stuff that could come out of that. But it's also just really great to talk to you. You've got such a great perspective on all this stuff. I really appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you for man. that. And you too. You too. I mean, you know, peas in a pod. It's, I know. It's nice to have someone to <laughs> anyone to talk to about this stuff. Well, we'll have to do this again. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe. Uh, near uh, water under the sun with some drinks. Hell yeah. Love that. Damn. Love that vision. All right. For the uh, the people who have no idea who you are, where can they find you on yes. the internet? Yes. You can find me at the handle Sam Reich, S-A-M-R-E-I-C-H on all of your social medias and you can find our content on dropout.tv. We have some fun dropout.tv subscribers who I can't tell you who they are because it would be a TOS violation. Oh, I don't. I never looked. I've never looked to see who... Yeah. Because you, do you collect names in addition to email addresses? We only get email addresses and sign up. Um, I only know this via hearsay. I oh, haven't actually okay. looked. Yeah. yeah. Uh, our, our hope is that maybe Taylor Swift is a big jet lag fan and I can get her on this show to talk about creator yeah. economy stuff. So, Taylor, if you're listening, uh, let's talk sponsors. Do it, Taylor. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. <laughs>